This episode of I'll Go First is brought to you by Acura, leading the way in auto innovation for over 30 years. Keep listening to discover how Acura sees things differently in the pursuit of precision-crafted performance. Okay, so I would be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that your last name is Richmond and you worked in finance. <laughs> Hi, I'm Takara Small, and this is I'll Go First from the Globe and Mail. This is not your average tech podcast. We're going beyond the headlines and behind the million dollar deals to chat with innovators and industry trailblazers. On this episode... I'm Will. I'm uh, the founder of Growth Genius, and we help B2B companies get sales meetings with their ideal customers. Starting a business is hard. You have a great idea, investors want in on it, but you have no idea how to reach the distributors and customers who want your product. Enter Growth Genius, a Toronto-based startup that takes care of all of that for you. Using AI, they find the business leads, they do the introductions, and set up the meetings so you can focus on what really matters, making money. It's not Will's first company either. He started off by co-founding Bitmaker Labs, a tech school that teaches students what they need for a career in tech. Everything from front-end web development to UX design. After it was later sold for an undisclosed amount, ka-ching, he decided to backpack across Asia and Europe and then return to launch his second startup, Growth Genius. The company is a secret sales task force, working behind the scenes to build the pipeline so startups don't have to. We talked about cohabitating with his employees, they all live in one house together, how to avoid burnout, and how to live up to the expectations of our remarkably entrepreneurial family. Here's our conversation. Not many people can claim they've created not just one, but two successful businesses. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Not exactly. I uh, Right out of school, I worked for a bank, and uh, we helped family offices and high net worth individuals manage their money. So I was really excited about finance for the good part of half a decade. Gotcha. I think... I moved to entrepreneurship when I came across uh, Y Combinator out of the States. So yep. Paul Graham uh, started this incubator accelerator to help young people start companies. Mm-hmm. And I found myself missing days of work to to come and, <laughs> really? and work on ideas. Okay, and how so, did you manage that? How did your boss not fire oh, you? I was sick a lot. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I think they got the picture a couple couple months in, but um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't, wasn't really aware that entrepreneurship in this way was an option. My dad mm-hmm. had started a couple companies, oh. so it, it seemed plausible, but it didn't seem as fun as it could be. So I left my job after just over a year. How old were you? Uh, probably 21, 22. That's quite a gamble. I think when you know you really don't want to do something, it seems like you don't have a choice. Right. So, okay. And so you left to create what company? Me and my co-founder of what eventually became Bitmaker Labs mm-hmm. uh, were living together at the time, both working in finance. And we, we were working on a bunch of ideas. And one of the things that we wanted to build was um, basically like a, a, a men's lifestyle, like Instagram, but you could buy the things on Instagram. So it was like yeah. Pinterest and Instagram, but you could buy the things that you 
you were interested in. So what was this called? It was a terrible name. No, you have to tell me now. (laughs) What was it called? Uh, We called it Nifty Lifestyle. Okay. Why Nifty? Uh, We were looking for... So I, I don't know. Because uh, nifty. I, I guess so. It was it was kind of like an aspirational blog. It was all the stuff that we wanted, mm-hmm. um, and then we hoped that our friends would want, and then we would help them make those purchases. But we we hit a roadblock, and so we couldn't actually build the tech to get the platform up and going. And so we had to learn how to build it. So all of a sudden we were web developers, and um, I went to Chicago for a couple months to learn how to had a program. And then during that time, we realized that basically all our friends wanted to learn how to build technology as well. And so we ended up saying, hey, let's let's build this in Toronto and yeah. let's, let's see what happens. Um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about the relationship you have with your co-founder because you lived with him. Yeah. And, and this we- is a trend because you actually live with your employees now. Like that just seems... A recipe for disaster and and definitely I think uh, nine times out of ten it might be but uh, we had a lot of past history kind of coming into this group of four that we all live together now mm-hmm. so we'd all kind of live together in yeah. on separate occasions so I've known my business partner and co-founder of growth genius for the good part of 15 years so mm-hmm. we went to high school together and mm-hmm. we've lived together in university and we lived together for the past three odd years. Wow! So it's common kinda, law. <laughs> yeah, we're in uh, an economic marriage. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So as long as you have the same values and complementary skill sets, you're good to you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And so, well, pending cleanliness, um, <laughs> and uh, and your music tastes on and when you you know yeah you know when you're up and out yeah I would do it again. How many sure. people do you live with? So it's the four of us. Four guys. Yeah. Working for the same company. Yeah. So how do you um, separate business from personal? Like, are you constantly working then if you're always with the people from your startup? Do you have a personal life? Can you have a personal life? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a good it's a good uh, question around this kind of work life balance thing. Yeah. It's, it's it's you know very coveted, and I think. Bezos has an interesting way of, of putting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about the integration of life and work. And so if you can blend the two, you can work and live at the same time. So I just got back from volleyball, you know, yes, late last night. Mm. And we, we were playing on a team with a lot of the guys. Oh. So it's like, yeah. it's kind of, you're relaxing, but at the same time, it's... They're actually your friends. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is a tough line to to tell, but if you pick who you work with carefully, mm-hmm. I think it, I think it works. So do you fall into the trap of only hiring people that you could be friends with? So initially, yes. Um, and so you got to wor- worry about diversity of opinions, thoughts, backgrounds, everything. So initially you, you do kind of need to be friends with these people. I think for the first 10 to 15 people, you need to be able to spend almost every waking hour with them. But as the company grows, you, you don't have enough time to spend with everyone. So you want to build in that diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the same time, we do disagree on just about everything. <laughs> so even as, as friends, we, we trust and respect each other. So, so it seems to work so far.
I was looking at your LinkedIn before you got here and I noticed it said backpacker. Tell me a little bit about why you decided to get away after you left Bitmaker. Yeah. So uh, after Bitmaker, it took about a year to kind of figure out what I wanted to do next and to take some time off. You know, from birth to 22, we're, we're conditioned to jump through hoops. And so you're kind of, you're just running this race as fast as you can and you don't really know why. And then at some point you kind of have a separation uh, and you don't have to work for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's a good time to kind of think deeply about what you want to do for the rest of it. I lived on my buddy's couch for a little while it, through law school. because I, okay. I wanted to see what law school was about. Wait, so after Bitmaker was acquired, yeah, you decided to live on someone's couch? Of course. You couldn't? buy your own couch? <laughs> I definitely, definitely could. But I, I think it's, you're really just trying to have as much fun as you can. Mm-hmm. And so it was a good opportunity to live with a bunch of guys that I, I you know, was yeah. friends with and, yeah. and see what law school is about. So I audited a couple of classes and cool. tried to participate. What it, did you think? It, it's not for me, okay. but, <laughs> but it was definitely interesting and I have mm-hmm. a, a different respect for, for lawyers. And I was wondering, what countries did you visit when you were backpacking? So started in Vietnam, uh, spent a, about a month there, then Cambodia for a month, Thailand for a month, then found out that all those law students we were talking about mm-hmm. j- just graduated. So we did Europe for a good part of six, seven months. And so we went through the UK, Germany, mm-hmm. Austria, Croatia, Spain. Um, did kind of as much as we could until yeah. until we, we couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, I was going to ask, were you homesick at all? Definitely, definitely. And I think that's a big realization of, of that year was that being connected to community is like essential. If you, if you go too long adrift, uh, you kind of lose lose touch of things. And how did you stay connected with friends and family that were in Canada? Unfortunately, I was a little burnt out at the time. So mm. I actually, I didn't stay in touch with uh, folks as much as I should have. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I it was regular emails, regular calls, Skype, kind of trying to see them as much as possible, but I also needed to unplug mm-hmm. for a couple months. So it's interesting you mentioned burnout because I think that's a, a topic that a lot of people are talking about in tech and there's definitely a lot more visibility on it. Um, how do you avoid burnout? You yourself, what advice do you have? So, yeah, let's let's tackle how do you recognize burnout? Um, I think you, you can see it in someone's face pretty quickly. Um, I think that's the first telltale sign is like this constant fatigue. After the face, then I think it's really the the energy levels and the excitement to take to tackle new difficult projects. And if you can see that folks are pushing back on things that are just minimal m- amounts of more effort, mm-hmm. that's a good time for a vacation. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is probably apathy. So you just stop caring. You d- you stop responding to emails you stop doing good work and when when folks are stop you know starting to stop to do good work then you mm-hmm. know that that person is very close to burnout and so you're talking about other individuals but how do you you yourself recognize burnout within, within I, I, I think that that would probably be my level levels of burnout so you'll see it on my face yeah I'll come into work and 
maybe I can't put on that solid kind of let's let's go kick ass kind yeah. of thing and then then you'll see it kind of in the apathy mm-hmm. and I have to just as long as you're you're winning and you're energized about the the project and you're making strides then I think you'll kind of get through it is that where you, maybe you lean on your co-founder to yeah that'd be uh, well they're also feeling it as well like you're almost in depends on what market you're operating in and the business you're working on but it's a full out sprint for a lot of the the early team and so I try not to lean on him too too much mm-hmm. uh, because he's going through it too mm-hmm. so you got to figure out where he's at and then let him know where you're at mm-hmm and uh, so we, we actually, to avoid burnout, because we're acutely aware of this in the team, is scheduling breaks um, in like different levels of uh, di- different intervals. So once a week, you should take a full day off and unplug. Interesting. You should not get back to any messages. Gotcha. So say your Sundays or Saturdays are sacred. Don't get back to anything. Then on a, on a kind of three-month cycle, you should take a week off. So every three months, take a week off. So that's that's it's maybe a little bit more than the average, but you should take four weeks, almost evenly spaced off, because it takes about three days to kind of disengage, and then another three days to like for your body and mind to recuperate. And then I would I'd probably advocate a sabbatical every every couple of years. I heard. Um, from someone who also works with you guys, that you have like a really interesting way of giving back to your employees by providing them equity in yeah, the company. Of course. Um, and so, not every company does that. Can you tell me why at Growth Genius you decided it was important to implement that? Well, you, I think you want to really own a piece of what you're working on. So you're not only are you working in the machine, but you're working on the machine, and you should. You know, there's a certain amount of risk that you take in coming onto a small team. And to think that just, you know, one, two, three, four people kind of own that success mm-hmm. is, a, is a weird idea to me. It's like everyone, and I think WestJet is, is one of the, the good examples of giving everyone a slice of the pie. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's a great way to do business because if you knock it out of the park, everyone should get a proportionate amount of that success. Now, the Acura Innovation Series. Mr. Honda, the founder of Acura, built a racetrack before he'd even sold his first car. See, Acura learns from the track. They follow the principles of Genba, the process of designing in reality, not just on paper. With a 90s dynasty of driver and manufacturer's championships in their rearview mirror, they've clearly learned a lot and applied it to every Acura put on the road since. Visit acura.ca to discover their current lineup. So I want to know a little bit more about Growth Genius. Can you explain it to me as if, you know, I'm a fifth grader? I know I look like one, but pretend I have the capacity of one as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Growth Genius is about getting people new opportunities. So you're trying to, whether it be a new job or a new new business deal, you need to reach out to people in a way that gets them excited about what you have to offer. We help people reach out to other folks at the right time with the right message. 
So break it down for me. So let's just say I own a coffee shop and yep. I go to Growth Genius and I'm like, I want you to help me partner, connect with other businesses. Yep. How would you do that? So uh, a, s- a slight twist is that you might have to be uh, a coffee bean producer selling to coffee shops. Oh, okay. So it's only B2B companies. Okay. So what we do is we build a list of folks that you want to reach out to. hmm and craft uh, hyper-personalized one-to-one messaging mm-hmm. and and follow-ups. So at the end of the day, you're just dealing with warm, qualified conversations. Gotcha. So you can kind of just sit back, watch Relax, TV. Count my money. And, well, <laughs> ca- definitely count your opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm kind of excited about the coffee bean company. <laughs> I might start that. TK's Coffee Beans. Okay. That'd, be, that'd be great. I've got two people who are potential customers. So I'm going to jump into a little bit about the personal. You said your father was an entrepreneur. Tell me a little bit about what um, that was like growing up with the dad who's uh, involved in you know the entrepreneurship space. Yeah, you learn uh, that it's uh, often not as glamorous as you might think. You get to see the highlights of uh, you know a, a big deal or or adding new teammates or or a new product launch, but uh, you also see. That there's a lot of hard work behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and so you understand what you're what you're getting yourself into. And so he started a, a variety of businesses. One was a plastics uh, import export company. So mm-hmm. he would go to Korea all the time, mm-hmm. and uh, he would work on kind of deals around plastics that go into your, uh, you know, your coffee lid here or some of these um, audio equipment. Another one was a, as a business broker. So he was exposed to a lot of small businesses, uh, helping them buy or sell other companies. It's not a life for everyone, and it's not a life always of, uh, of big wins. So, mm-hmm. so I knew what I was getting myself into. So who supported your father like your co-founder supports you? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. And so it was, it was mostly my mom. My mom's killed it she's like yeah. the hardest worker uh, I've I know um, mm-hmm. yeah so a lot of the inspiration comes from both my parents and so my my two younger brothers mm-hmm. one is a computer science major at a UVic and uh, the other is a mechanical engineer at a UBC and so we're all kind of a technical family yeah. so we like to uh, work on things and take things apart. Okay, so your dad was an entrepreneur. I imagine he would, you know, try to discourage you from also like <laughs> doing the same thing. De- definitely, because he he's he's gone through it for maybe two decades, and so he was always trying to get me to do the the least risky uh, career. My parents split up when I was twelve, so he did a lot of it on his own and. The nice part is that he had an MBA and he had a pharmacy degree, so he had he had basically grown a company called PharmaSave from oh yeah a couple oh I know PharmaSave that's <laughs> yeah. crazy it was kind of like an eighties an eighties oh, wow. Canadian uh, company from a couple locations to a couple hundred yeah yeah I'm just wondering what your mom and dad thought about you pursuing entrepreneurship so they've they've started as uh, as not thinking it was the best best idea, my dad would shoot down all of my ideas. So he's really good at finding the flaws mm-hmm. in a lot of my ideas, and I probably pitched him over a hundred things that that I could work on. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, when he starts to not be able to see some of the flaws in the ideas, then I know I'm on, on the right track. So, Will, this is one of my favorite sections. It's called Rapid Fire. All you have to do is answer as fast as you can with one-word responses. Get ready, because it's incredibly competitive. What is your greatest fear? Failure. What do you do for fun? Friends. What motivates you? Fun. What is your perfect day off? Snowboarding. How many hours do you work a day? 14. How many? <laughs> how much do you sleep? Six. Uh, what's one word that your friends would use to describe you? Hard worker. What's your favorite TV show? Westworld. Biggest pet peeve? Lying. What do you do to de-stress? Working out. <laughs> okay, last one. This is a this is an unusual one. Pie or cake? Mm, apple pie. So, Will, now we're going to do the big three. It's three big personal questions that I want you to answer. Take your time. Um, You're the first in your field to do what you're doing. What's one big mistake that you encountered that ultimately helped define your career? Trying to adhere to other people's success. So instead of being okay with inventing things from scratch, I wanted to pull other people's, rest on the models of other people's success and then replicate those. And what you realize is that you have to custom tailor your solution to that problem and think from first principles. And um, what piece of advice would you tell your younger self? Pick really good people to be around. I don't think, uh, I don't think people curate the people that they're around well enough. And so if you're always surrounded by really good people who build you up and you build them up, you're in really good shape. Have you ever been in a position, though, where you've met someone who's really great at what they do, but they don't have the best personality? In that situation, what do you do? Who do you, who do you choose? Um, if you can help that person understand, it, well, first make sure that it's not just you that thinks that. So if you know that it's a surround sound kind of feeling from three to five people that they work closely with, then then it's probably a problem with their attitude and personality. And then help them realize what fixing that personality would do for them because okay. it might be impeding their ability to be successful and have fun. And where do you see yourself in five years from now? Hopefully doing the same thing. At Growth Genius? Yeah, with the same people. I, like, I'd love it if this was the last uh, company I built. Like, I, I think there's there's too much of this serial entrepreneurship idolized by a, a lot of folks. And I think you really just want to build one, one company and do it right. Um, looking for the next big score all the time isn't, uh, isn't a, I don't know, I don't think it's a very healthy way to live, live your life. Mm-hmm. So where can we find you online? Yeah, so you can find me at Twitter, uh, Will underscore Richmond, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Will Richmond. I'm on Medium now. Are you? Yeah, so uh, I'll be coming out with uh, 
startup related content uh, in, the, in the coming months. Uh, just trying to help folks avoid a lot of the mistakes that I've made. Thanks to Will Richmond for sharing his story. Now we want to hear your story. Make sure to hit me up online. I'm at Takar Small on Twitter, or you can email the show at podcasts at globeandmail.com. I'll Go First is a Vocal Fry Studios production. It's executive produced by Kieran Renna and Katrina Bolak with editorial assistance from David Michaels. For more stories about entrepreneurship, visit theglobeandmail.com. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.